come now to the reading and preaching of God's word today from 2 Samuel chapter 3. Find this on page 352. continuing the narrative of what Abner did in the history of Israel. It comes on the heels of telling about his uh, organizing basically a rebellion and civil war against David and against God's revealed will. And then his power play uh, that we looked at in, uh, earlier in chapter 3, how he tried to take over uh, the leadership in more ways than just the power that he had. And it continues now. I'll read verses 12 through 21. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. And David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, and you come to see my face. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Paltiel, son of Laish. Then her husband went along with her to Bahurim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. Now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David and Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. And David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. What do you think about Abner? Abner is a very complex figure, isn't he? After reading this passage and noting that next, in the next passage, David is going to, to praise Abner, perhaps you're a little bit like I am. As I began the, uh, the study of the account of Abner, I entered into it with a very positive view of Abner, thinking of the last things that he does. But as I've studied, my opinion has, has changed. We've seen how Abner resisted God. 
He was the one that did not come to David. He refused the revealed will of God that David would be king. And instead, he took Ishbosheth and set him up to be a rival king to David. And then he instituted civil war by, uh, by this division and by then invading Judah, bringing war against David. And then he seeks power for himself. He promotes his own name and his reputation. And he is the power behind the throne, we might say. It amounts to Abner playing God, seeking his own kingdom. We looked at that downward spiral last week. And we could say that it seems to continue here as now he turns his back on Ishbosheth and betrays him and seeks alliance with David. The question comes, did, uh, did Abner really repent of his sin and repent of his rebellion? Or was this just his continuing to play this game of maneuvering, trying to get advantage for himself. At the end of the day, the text doesn't tell us. So we're left with some unknowns about this. However, this does demonstrate something about God. This is very important. It demonstrates that God is directing all of history to his glorious purposes. And part of that purpose is, his, is the victory and the peace of his son, Jesus Christ, King of Kings. I'm glad to look at that from this perspective that speaks of Abner and David. So I want you to hear how God is sovereignly ruling over men and nations Therefore, be confident that God will bring about his promised victory and peace in Christ. The outline is very simple. We're going to look at what Abner does and David's response, and then go back and look at Abner, and then see God's gracious and sovereign ruling over all things. So we'll begin with Abner in verse 12. Abner negotiates with David. Verse 12 says that he sent messengers to David. Whose is the land? Make your covenant with me, and indeed, my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. I want you to notice how Abner makes himself out to be the top dog in this situation. Whose is the land? It's mine. I have the power to make you king. And if you would accept this covenant that I will make with you, I can deliver to you the kingdom of Israel. Now, there is some truth in what Abner has to say. He had indeed set, him up, set himself up to be the man of power in those tribes of Israel that had rejected David. Ishbosheth was the king, but remember... Abner was the puppet master behind and was pulling the strings and was exerting his influence and even trying to gain more and more. And when his power play with Saul's concubine failed, Abner's path to prominence 
seems to be obstructed. So he makes good on his threat to Ishbosheth. I will take all of my influence and I'll throw it over to David. That's what he's doing here. Goes over Ishbosheth's head and he unilaterally acts by going to David. Notice he isn't coming in Ishbosheth's name. He isn't saying that Ishbosheth has the power. He says, I have the power to deliver this into your hand. He goes to negotiate with David. I also want you to notice that Abner even appears to be dictating terms to David. These things put Abner's actions into a not-so-positive light. This is where I say this is the complexity of what's happening here, that it seems like Abner is on another path seeking power, but then he's going to say some things that are, are, are absolutely true about David and about God's raising up David. Well, how do we bring these two together? Well, as, since the text doesn't tell us exactly, we need to evaluate them just on the basis of what is here. And I would say that in this case, we can't forget that Abner has schemed all along in this process. In fact, he was, he was Saul's commander for all of those years when the army was chasing after David and persecuting him. This is, this is the soldier that was doing the work to try to catch and kill David on behalf of Saul. And he followed that up with seven years of civil war in opposition to David's rightful kingship. So David will be right to be cautious about his dealings with Abner. And at the same time, we can also see how Abner is, by hook or by crook, finally coming to align himself with the Lord and with the Lord's king. So keep that in mind as we turn to David's response. What was his response? Well, David accepted the covenant that Abner proposed, but not on Abner's terms. And in doing so, David puts Abner in his place. Because David is the rightful king of Israel, not Abner. And in some sense, Ishbosheth is the rightful king of these rival tribes. As a descendant from Saul, there was a claim to, to the throne, and he had received the oaths of allegiance from the other tribes, just as Ishbosheth had designed. Who is Ishbosheth? Well, he was nothing in one sense. He was a servant to David and Ishbosheth. Though he made himself out to be the power that could, to, could deliver all these things, David deals cautiously with him. While he accepts the covenant that is proposed, it is on his terms, not on Abner's. And these are the terms that he made. First, he required the return of his wife, Michael, his first wife, 
That's Saul's daughter. Turn back into 1 Samuel and see how that took place. And second, this aspect of the way that David dealt with Abner is very clearly putting it in his place. Because David dealt not with Abner, but directly with Ishbosheth. So Abner is the one who comes with this proposal, but when David speaks, he speaks to Ishbosheth. And Abner becomes the messenger, messenger boy to take this word back to the one he had sworn to to be king. As to Michael, here again that God's word forbids polygamy. I took some time last week to make this very clear. As a man of his times, David was acting in that atmosphere that he was familiar with. And this is to, uh, to, his, uh, to his, his shame. The Bible critiques David because of this. And I remind you that rather than waiting on the Lord as he had in so many other circumstances, that this is a place that betrays David's weakness and, and sinful nature. He sought to make alliances to secure the kingdom rather than going about securing the kingdom in God's ways. So how is that happening here? Well, it would be a common practice, isn't it? So you could you even see this in, in fairy tales or in fictions. How do you bring two rival kingdoms together? Well, the prince or the king of one kingdom marries the princess or the queen of another kingdom. And those two kingdoms have peace. And can't you see David thinking, what better way to unite these two, two portions of God's people that are, are, are at war with each other? There's civil war, and perhaps I may secure a level of peace by placating the house of Saul bringing his daughter back into the royal family. So in these ways, David negotiated his own uh, terms to, uh, to Abner's negotiations. And David was right to be cautious. Given the history of Abner, you could easily conclude that uh, that that Abner was once more jockeying for position. This time you could say he's trying to curry favor with David, or maybe even worse, he, it could be that he's trying to bully David so that when he comes, when this comes together, that he would receive a similar position of power. But David... Uh, David is, is wise about this and, uh, and doesn't allow it. He deals with Ishbosheth, and we find that Ishbosheth capitulates, sending his sister Michael back to her first husband, David. And the text then tells how Michael's then husband, Paltiel, went along behind her, weeping all the way. 
And let me just note here the harm and the sorrow that is inflicted on David and Michael and Paltiel and really all that were involved. Add this as a note to my, uh, my caution last week that polygamy is a sin, that it is also full of harm and sorrow. And there's just no way to get around it. Well, this is how David has responded to Abner. Let's look at Abner's next move. He goes now to the rest of the nation to urge them to follow David. And here's where it really gets complicated. <laughs> because the things that Abner says are true. Listen to what he says. In time past, you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then, do it. In fact, he's saying, it's time. Let's, let's get this accomplished. For the Lord has spoken of David. This is Abner speaking. The Lord has spoken of David saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of their enemies. The next verses through verse 21 tell about how Abner uh, went, uh, went on the campaign trail, so to speak. He went to the, the elders of the different tribes, and he went to Benjamin, as specifically mentioned. And then he finally goes to David himself. And it says that David accepted this offer, sending Abner away in peace. Before we go on, I want to just explain a few things here that, that Abner is saying, which will help us to understand what God is doing in all of this. So Abner reminded the elders of Israel that in years past, David had had great success against the Philistines. And he reminds them that everybody knew it. The whole nation honored David for the victory he had over Goliath. And wherever David went, you could hear the praise. Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Everybody knew how great a warrior David was. He became a trusted and successful general, just the type of man that Israel wanted to be king. Just the type of man Israel wanted to be king. And when I say it like that, I, I hope you remember that Israel had wanted a king. But they had wanted a king like the nations around them. And in their desire, they turned their eyes and their hearts away from the Lord, who is the rightful king, and of his promise to raise up a king of his own. And in effect, Israel was saying, yeah, 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 but this is, what, this is really powerful. Look at these kings of the nations around us. This is what we need. We need this to defend us from all of our enemies. But their desire was misguided, wasn't it? And longing after this type of king, they were despising the Lord's rule and care. 
So in 1 Samuel, we saw that God gave them what they wanted. He gave them Saul, a king like the nations around them. And Israel has to go through a period of having an unrighteous king rule over them. Saul was not their savior. Saul was not God's man. Only the Lord God Almighty can save, and he alone deserves our love, honor, and obedience. And Abner calls attention to this. This is why it's such a head-scratcher. Why did he then wage seven years of civil war against David? By the hand of my servant David, the Lord has said, Abner speaking, the Lord has said this, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel. The Lord would save, and he would use David. With these words, Abner convinces Israel to unite under David's rule. So what is God doing in the midst of all of this? It leaves us wondering about Abner. I suggested this. Is Abner really repentant? Has he finally come to his senses and throws himself on the mercy of God by aligning himself under David? That is, a, that is one possibility. But there is still that possibility uh, that Abner is a complex, tragic figure and that he is still maneuvering his way to gain position and power in the new world order under David. There are reasons to think that this might be the case as well. But rather than, uh, than speculating or oversimplifying the matter, the scripture leaves this silent. And in doing so, it, it presses you to ask a deeper question, a question that I've asked. What is God doing in the midst of this? And here's where Abner speaks truth. And God is able to do that through the mouth of believers or unbelievers or by donkeys. Abner speaks the truth. God will save Israel by the hand of David. God will save Israel by the hand of David. So we'll leave Abner's soul in God's hands and move on to think about what God is doing here. And I want you to see how Abner's story depicts or demonstrates God's grace in two dramatic ways. The first is the grace that he offers to the children of Israel who had rebelled. It's not very often that 
at the end of a civil war that a nation is united again. There are a few places in history where that happens. But here is a case where God's promise has been that all of the children of Israel, all of the tribes of Israel, would be under the king that he raised up. And so there is a marvel of God's grace, as the commentator Phillips puts it. The marvel of God's grace is that he allowed Israel's rebel elders to return after all of this. They had indeed rebelled against the king, the true king, and yet God graciously brought them back to bow before David and to honor the Lord for that. They had forsaken God, but God had not forgotten or forsaken his promise. And this is all of grace. And this reminds you of Jesus' faithfulness to you and to me. For which one of us can say that we have faithfully followed the Lord in all things? If we were to identify ourselves somewhere in this spectrum, we would put ourselves in the camp of Abner, whether literally maneuvering and trying to gain God's favor by our own devices or, or corporately by, by following after other kings following after our own desires. But in this, we see the grace and the love of God in Jesus Christ. For when we were still without strength, says Paul in Romans 5, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for, for, scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. More, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more Having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Christ is our peace. Though we, like sheep, have gone astray, each one to his own path, the Lord has saved us from our sins by sending Jesus to be our Redeemer. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We who are enemies of God are now reconciled, in him, reconciled to him, and in him we have peace, which is the second demonstration of grace that I'll point out. Whether Abner meant it or not, is in one sense immaterial. God used him to bring peace to Israel. 
The nation was divided. It was in turmoil. But God had made a solemn promise to raise up David as king. So no matter how Abner had plotted against him, God overruled. No matter if he was mixed in his motives of finally coming to David, God ruled. And he was bringing about his purpose of peace for the nation. And he used Abner to do it. Once more, we see the grace and love of God in Christ here too. In this world, we go through much strife and conflict. Think of that in many different terms. I, I, I attended last week a meeting of like-minded reformed churches that are divided. The purpose of that meeting and the purpose of that organization is, is to heal those wounds. Christ. And it's by faith the Lord is our peace that motivates me to pray for unity for the broader church. We can bring it a little closer to home, though, can't we? Think of the conflict that happens in every church, in every congregation, in our congregation. But believing that the Lord is our Peace motivates me to act with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then think on the grandest scale of all. Think of the opposition of the world against Christ, the church. And at times, it seems like the world is winning. But God is directing all of history to his glorious purpose. He will win. Commentator Davis puts it this way, sometimes nothing looks so unlikely and remote to us as the day when the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, Revelations 11. But come it will, for God has declared it to Jesus. And no Abner or Joab or greater conspirator will be able to stop it. By faith, look to Christ who is our peace. By faith, pray for his victory. Pray for his peace. Pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And let's pray. Lord God, we do bow before you today as our great God and King. We acknowledge that there is no Savior but the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no King but the King of Kings. 
King Jesus. And Father, in this life, we can be beaten down by the conflict that we see all around us. We can be discouraged by the conflict that we are engaged in. We can be devastated by the, the, the turn of our culture against you so violently. And we may wonder what you are doing. No, God, I pray that we would catch the glimpse through that vision of John. Catch the glimpse through your working in Abner and David that, that you are indeed directing all of history to your appointed end. Therefore, may we have confidence to pray and labor for peace in every area for Christ's sake, for his honor and for his glory, knowing that you will do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 72 is a psalm of the king. In fact, we ask in this psalm that the Lord would would give his judgments to the king and that he would bring his peace through the rule of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll sing this before and after the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. There are aspects that come out. uh, and, And remember the vision of the of the peaceful kingdom of Christ that is in view here. We'll start by singing Psalm 72a. I invite you to stand to sing.